0: If you'll turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, We're continuing today, as Pastor Nick mentioned, in our study of God's Word and of uh, 1 Samuel. And uh, where we left off in this study is the people wanted a king. And Samuel, who at the time was a priest and prophet and judge over God's people, uh, he was grieved because the people's cry for a king was a sign of their rebellion against their true king, against God. But God hears their cry, and despite their sinful intentions, God gives them what they ask for. It's a reminder to us to be careful what it is we ask for, because there's times when God will answer our prayer for the very thing we ask for, which may not be a good thing at all. And yet we see how God is going to use all of these things Uh, in His sovereign plan to will and to work out His providence among His people, uh, appointing us to our King Jesus. And so today we're going to read through uh, this story of biblical history. We're going to read the entirety of chapter 9 and part of chapter 10 so that we can get uh, a full picture of the circumstances, the events that lead us to Saul being anointed king over God's people. And so, if you're able to, out of reverence for God's Word, if you would stand together as I read the holy inspired Word of God for us. And this is what God's Word says. 1 Samuel dime, beginning in verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zoror, the son of Becherath. Uh, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. Uh, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his, shoulder, his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim. And he passed through the land of Shalishah, and they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. And then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but they did not find them. And when they came to the land of Zoph, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my, my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city. And he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul, Here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formally in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the hill to the city, they met a young, young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. And as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man whom I spoke to you. He is the one who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about thirty persons. And Samuel said to the cook, "'Bring the portion I gave to you, of which I said to you, put it aside.' So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, "'See what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed.' That you might eat with the guest. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us, and when he has passed on, stop, hear yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that went to, you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats and another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gilbeath Elohim." where there is a garrison of Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gilbia, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them, And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said to seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. You would pray with me. Father, we thank you for your holy word And as we read through it this morning about these events that happen over the course of days, they are significant to our understanding of who would be king over your people and ultimately how Jesus is our king. So help us to understand these things better as we consider this word today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It is Monday morning, and you are running late. Uh, you have an appointment about 45 minutes away, so you figure you can make up a little bit of time on the road, and your GPS tells you well, if you take this route, you'll get there at about 9.05, but you know, if, if I go another way, I think I can shave off a few more minutes. And so you take that turn, and you go that way, only to find that you've landed yourself right in the middle of a one-hour traffic jam. And now you're going to be really late. It is Friday evening and you are looking forward to Saturday because this is the first Saturday and as long as you can remember when you don't have to be anywhere. No alarm to set, no things to cover, no jobs to do. You're just going to be able to sleep in for the first time in a long time. At least that's what you think until you lay your head down on that pillow and you hear a family member from the kitchen call and say, Why is the floor so wet? (laughs) You get up from your bed, you walk into the kitchen, and you soon find that the dishwasher has stopped functioning correctly and has flooded your entire kitchen. So much for that Saturday off. Maybe you've had experiences like these or just other frustrations, other interruptions that come along and change your plans. At times they change your budget, and most certainly they often change your attitude. A dead car battery, a broken appliance, something that just comes that wasn't expected and now your plans are changed. These are daily frustrations and daily interruptions. But as we are reminded in today's passage, these daily interruptions, these daily frustrations are part of God's sovereign plan. In fact, God is sovereign over all things over our joys and over our frustrations, over our blessings and over our trials. He is the God who is sovereign over all events, of all things that happen in our lives, even over donkeys getting lost, as we learn in this passage today. And so as we consider... This account that we just read through, this rather ordinary day in the life of the son of Kish, I want us to consider how God is using these ordinary frustrations that come up in the life of Saul and how he is using ordinary frustrations that come up in our life as part of his sovereign plan to will and to work his ways in our life. And so as we consider these things, we'll go through the outline you have there in front of you, the first point of which is this. Number one, God is sovereign over our daily frustrations. He's sovereign over our daily frustrations. As we come here to chapter 9, we are introduced to Saul. We are told that he is the son of Kish, and as the son of Kish, that he is part of a family that has great wealth. We're told, in addition to his wealth, uh, that he's a handsome young man. We're told that he's a a tall young man. He stands above all those in his community. But as we find, wealth and stature do not exempt you from daily frustrations. Because a morning comes along, we read, where uh, Saul hears the news from his father that the donkeys are lost. The animals have gotten out, and now he is tasked, along with a servant, to go and bring his father's donkeys back home. And so they go out looking from the donkeys, from city to city. A journey that would have taken somewhere around 20 miles, a journey that we find later in the passage, took them about three days. A rather fruitless journey, (laughs) because they never actually find the donkeys, although the Lord finds them for them. Now, consider this rather ordinary day, this daily frustration, uh, in the context of where we're at in 1 Samuel. Uh, The people have cried out for a king. Uh, They have asked God for a king who will rule over them, and we know that Saul is going to be that king. In fact, we, we know the story, and we know the story of Saul's kingdom. We know how he starts off well, as Pastor Nick mentioned before, but he does not end well. But here we are dropped into this narrative of Saul, which seems to have very little to do with him becoming king. It's just a daily frustration. He wakes up one morning, perhaps with all kinds of plans, all kinds of things he's intending to do, only to find that his plans are now interrupted. Only to find it now that he's going to be sent out for days to search for animals that he cannot find. But we know the whole story. And we know how this search that comes from this daily frustration is going to lead him to Samuel. And we know this is going to lead him to one of the most significant encounters in his entire life. Because it's going to be through this encounter with Samuel that he's going to be anointed to be the king over God's people. It's a reminder to us, friends, that God is indeed sovereign over our daily frustrations. For Saul, it was the search for some donkeys. (laughs) For us, it can be one of a hundred things. The day doesn't go how you thought it was going to go. Plans are quickly changed. In fact, we are in the midst of more than a daily frustration. We're in months of frustration now from a virus. And Many times, things don't work out the way that we thought they would. And yet, we need to remember in these times that God is sovereign over all. That things that come to us as a surprise are no surprise to Him. We need to understand that God uses these daily frustrations in a number of ways. We find in the Scripture that God uses these daily frustrations, these trials that come upon us, in order to grow us, to strengthen us, to teach us, to train us in our faith. We read, for example, in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, that we are to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. For we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness, when it has its full effect, may make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That God has a purpose for these things that come up in our day to train us in righteousness. That's one thing He does through daily frustration. And we also see that at times He uses these frustrating things in our life to protect us. Perhaps you've had a situation like this. I remember uh, years ago, Sandy and I were on a trip to North Carolina to see family. And uh, if you have small children or you've ever traveled with small children, uh, you know that those trips don't always go according to plan. And so as we're going along, in my head I thought, well, you know, this is how many hours we have, so this is how many stops we'll have, and the less stops, so quicker we'll get there. And I quickly learned that the number of stops I thought we would take, we had already taken in like the first two hours, Uh, Somewhere around eastern Tennessee, I remember specifically, uh, we stopped with the intention of using the bathroom. Maybe have that conversation. Everybody use the bathroom. Well, I don't have to use the bathroom. Yeah, you do have to use the bathroom because we're stopping to use the bathroom, so use the bathroom. So everybody goes to the bathroom, and you get back in the car, and what happens ten minutes down the road? Daddy, I've got to use the bathroom. And so frustration comes. And so as I'm frustrated and I'm thinking about how we're just never going to make it to this trip, and I hear the cry of my child needing to go to the bathroom, we pull off, make another bathroom stop, and get back on the interstate only to find that just a few miles up the road, there had been a major wreck. And the first thought that came to my mind was, had we not stopped, we would have been right in the middle of that. There's little frustrating events that happen in our life, and at times, God puts those in our life to protect us. Hey, He puts them in our life to train us, to teach us. And there's times He puts them in our life for reasons that we don't fully understand and may not ever understand this side of eternity, but we're called to trust in Him that He's doing a good thing ultimately through them. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So the resounding message we see, friends, from Genesis to Revelation, is that God is sovereign over these things that so often frustrate us. Therefore, number two, we should seek and trust God in every circumstance. We should seek and trust God in every circumstance. So we find... Saul and his servant, in the midst of this frustration, they go out to look for the donkeys. They come to the first city, they don't find them. They come to the second city, they don't find them. They come to the third city, they don't find them. And now they've been going so long that Saul begins to wonder if his father is not going to be more concerned for him than he is for the donkeys. He's essentially ready at this point to throw in the towel and just go home. But notice his servant is the one who has a better idea. In verse 6 he says, Let's go to the man of God who lives here. He's referring, of course, to Samuel, the, the prophet, the priest, the judge over God's people. He says all that he says comes true. It's a reminder of what we read back in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, that as Samuel grew, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And so God had blessed Samuel, and when Samuel spoke, the things he spoke of came to be. And this message went out among the people, and it made its way to Saul's servant. So Saul's servant suggests they go see uh, Samuel. Saul agrees, they go to find Samuel, they go out looking for him. They find out as they come to the city uh, where Samuel is supposed to be that he's on his way to bless the people. There's been a sacrifice, and he's going to bless the sacrifice in order for the people then to eat together. Now, remember, just a couple of chapters ago, 1 Samuel 7, when we read about Samuel's ministry, we found uh, that, that Samuel was kind of the equivalent of what we might think of as a circuit-riding preacher, <laughs> You've probably heard of these preachers from years ago that were circuit riders. They would go from town to town, from place to place. A a church couldn't afford to have just a pastor there all the time. So these circuit riding preachers would go all over the place and they'd preach one Sunday here and one Sunday there. and They'd minister throughout the week in other places. And that's kind of the picture we have here with Samuel. He was busy in this ministry. He was spread far and wide in these ministry, but in God's providence and in God's plan... He was in this city on this day. and Of course, we know why, because God has great purpose for this meeting that's going to take place between Samuel and Saul. In fact, it wasn't just Saul that was looking for Samuel, it was Samuel that was looking for Saul. God had come to Samuel and he had told him, he had revealed to him that Samuel would have this encounter with Saul and that he would be anointed as the leader of God's people. And notice there, he tells them two very specific things about Saul. In verse 16, he said, He will save my people from the hand of the Philistines. A picture here of the enemies of God's people who continue to come against them. And he's basically saying, Saul is going to lead my people against my enemies. A role that incidentally we'll find Saul fails in, which is when we see David step in in that role that Saul was called to be in. But he also tells Samuel, verse 17, that he'll restrain my people. Now what does that mean? (laughs) He's going to restrain my people. I read lots of thoughts on this this week. There are some who think that means that uh, somehow there's a restraint put on the people uh, because of what will happen later with Saul, that this is a picture of the blessing of God that will not come on God's people because of Saul's sin. But I tend to lean another way. Patrick, or excuse me, Pastor Derek Thomas, uh, in a sermon about this, shared that shared it this way, and I tend to agree. Is that what's taking place here in this restraint is that God actually is going to use Saul to restrain the people from being as sinful as they could have been. We know in their cry for a king that their intentions were wrong. And we know that this was a rebellion and a sin against God. God says this very clearly to Samuel when he talks to them him about giving them, the people, a king. And so this restraint that we see here seems to be, as Saul starts out well as king, he ends poorly, but he starts out well, it seems to be that Saul is a restraint to the people and that he keeps them from being as foolish as they could have been. He keeps them from the great sin they could have committed. And in this way, we should appreciate this because God puts people like that in our lives all the time. He puts restraints in our life. For some of us, that's a spouse who makes us appear to others far better than we actually are, who we run ideas past and can graciously tell us that's probably not the best idea, who protects us from our foolishness, at times from our sin. It could be for some that's a fellow believer, someone in your life who's an encourager to you, and when you find yourself just about to step further into sin, God places them there to restrain you, to encourage you, and to correct you. I mean, this is the role of the church of our Lord Jesus. We are called to be a restraint for one another. Left to ourselves and our own devices. We would be in a miserable place. But God has gifted us with one another. And one of the many purposes of us coming together is that we might encourage the saints. That we might equip one another. That we might at times correct one another and rebuke one another. That we might speak the truth in love. That we might not go down the path that otherwise we would have gone down And I think perhaps that's what we see God doing here through Saul for the people. And I think that's what he means in verse 17 where he says he'll restrain my people. And so now we have this encounter in verse 18 and following between uh, Saul and Samuel. Samuel invites him to eat and to dine. And we see this, this position he puts him in of prominence. We see a great humility at this point in Saul's life. We won't see that later, but we see it now. But we see through all of these things how God is raising up Saul to be the prince, the leader of His people. It's a reminder to us again this encounter between Saul and Samuel that we should seek and trust God in any and every circumstance we find ourselves in. In our daily joys and in our daily frustrations. We're reminded here that God has a purpose for everything we encounter. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11, In Him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Do you hear that? He says, he, God works all things according to the counsel of His will. And we see it very clearly here. One day, Saul gets woken up by his father and says, you've got to go find the donkeys. <laughs> day after day after day, he looks, he probably becomes more frustrated all along the while. And yet, what is God doing through this? Through this ordinary frustration in his life, He's leading him to this important encounter. And friends, he is doing the same in our lives today. And so whether it's the car or battery that dies, the kitchen appliance that breaks down, these daily interruptions and frustrations, they are reminders to us that we are to seek God and trust God in any and all circumstance. God is sovereign over our daily frustrations. Therefore, we should seek and trust God in every circumstance. And point three, we must remember that God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. So now we come into chapter 10. We see Samuel anointing Saul to be the king. And Samuel tells Saul that he's going to encounter these three signs. Notice there in your text, first he'll come to Rachel's tomb and he'll meet someone there who will tell him that the donkeys are at home and that his father is concerned now about him. And next he'll go a little further and he'll come to the oak of Tabor and three men are going to Bethel and they're going to have food and they're going to have drink and they're going to share those things with Saul. And then third he's going to meet these singing prophets and the Spirit of God is going to come upon him, and then the Scripture says he's going to be turned into another man. In fact, not just that, but you continue in the text there, in verse 9 it says God is going to give him another heart. Now we have to be careful here. You know, In New Covenant, New Testament language, being changed into another man, being given a new heart, well those are signs of conversion. That's what happens at that moment when we repent and we place our trust in Jesus. We turn from our sin and we turn to Christ and we see we're given a new heart, we're made a new person. That's a new covenant promise. But I don't believe that's exactly what's happening with Saul here. And we know the rest of Saul's story. We know that this heart that at the time is new will be changed back to old. We know that this new man will go back to being an old man. And we know that he will turn from his service to God into rebellion against God. I think what we see here is the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him in order to enable him to perform certain actions as the prince, the ruler, the king, the leader over God's people. That he very much is equipping him. Not in a declaration that now Saul's converted, but that Saul's now king. And he's equipping him and putting him in this place where now he's going to rule and lead God's people. And he's calling him to do that according to God's ways. But we know that he will ultimately fail in that. But for now, we see him responding to these things. We see these signs. They are a sign of God's anointing to him. Verses 10-13, through 13, we see the Spirit at work in his life immediately. In fact, when he encounters this group of prophets, he's able to prophesy to them And then we have this other encounter, which can seem a bit unusual to us there at the end of our passage. Uh, He encounters his uncle, and the uncle asks him about what's taking place, and Saul says, well, I, I went to look for the donkeys, and we couldn't find them, so we went to see Samuel, and so the uncle immediately knows Samuel as the priest, and the prophet, and the judge, and he wants to know, well, what did Samuel tell you? Well, it might be peculiar to us at this point, because Saul's quick to tell him, well, he told him about the donkeys, but he doesn't say anything about the kingdom, which you would imagine is much more significant at this point. <laughs> he doesn't say anything about the prophet over God's people anointing him to be the king over God's people. That, that's a pretty big deal. And Samuel doesn't say a word, or excuse me, Saul doesn't say a word about it. And I think that's because he knows, he's able to discern through the Spirit of the Lord in him how his uncle would likely respond to that at this point. See, the people had cried out for a king. And you can imagine how they thought that king might come to them. How would God choose that king? Would he speak to a burning bush? Would he he part a sea in a sign of his anointing over this next king? Would a raging, thunderous voice come from a mountaintop? Some donkeys got lost. That's how he chose the next king. It didn't make sense. And it certainly wouldn't have made sense to God's people. But it's a reminder to us that God's ways are not our ways. And that God moves in rather mysterious ways. And that familiar hymn, William Cowper says it very clearly. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. It is a mysterious thing the way the hand of God moves. His ways are not our ways. And what we see here in this text is a reminder to us of that. And you know the rest of the story, and we'll cover it in weeks and months to come. This Saul will be the king over God's people, but he will be a king who fails. He will be followed by other kings who have their own struggles, other kings who will fail in their own ways. But he is pointing us, and these others are pointing us, to a king who will never fail. A king who doesn't lose his donkeys. In fact, at one point, he sends his disciples on to find a donkey in a place he tells them it will be. A king who will ride that donkey into Jerusalem. And in that moment, the people will cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king is coming. But those same people quickly will cry out, Crucify him, crucify him. And why that change of heart? Because Jesus would not be the king that they expected him to be. But he was the king they needed him to be. And he is the king today that each of us desperately needs. But the scripture tells us clearly, friends, that you have to respond to the offer Jesus makes of kingship in your life and in my life. The Scripture says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of our sin is death. It tells us that we are rebellious in all things against our King. And the only way to make that relationship right, the only way for Jesus to take His right place of kingship in our life is for us to confess our sin, for us to believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, to place our full trust in Him as Lord and to turn from our sin in repentance. To have faith in Him as King. Have you done that? Have you put your trust in Jesus? As we walk through First and 2 Samuel together, we're going to see a lot of stories about kingship here. And I hope that each and every one of them brings us to this same question. Who is the king of our life today? Who is calling the shots for you and for me? And friends, if it's anybody other than Jesus, then He's not your king. But you can make that right today. You can place your trust in Him today. You can acknowledge that of all the frustrations, all the trials, all the troubles that may have come your way, that God is using those things for His good and for His glory to call you to the kingship of jesus the question is will you trust in him we're going to close in just a moment with a hymn that is familiar to many of you jesus what a friend of sinners it was written by john wilbur chapman in 1910 he wrote it when he was 51 years old and at this point in his life he was a man who knew great loss He was married when he was 22 years old, and four years later, he and his wife had a child, and within weeks, his wife passed away. This widower was left to raise this infant child on his own, and within a couple years, he met his second wife, and they married only to lose their first child who died in infancy. They were going to have three more children, but not long after, his second wife would also die. And so here was this man who had decades of pain and decades of loss. What could he have to say that we might sing about today? Well, this is what he wrote. For all the things he lost, he didn't lose his faith. Jesus, what a friend of sinners, for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Jesus, what a strength in weakness. Let me hide myself in Him. Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing, He, my strength, my victory, wins. Jesus, what a help in sorrow. While the billows over me roll, even when my heart is breaking, He, my comfort, helps my soul. Jesus, what a guide and keeper While the tempest still is high, Storms about me, night overtakes me, He my pilot hears my cry. Jesus, I do now receive Him. More than all in Him I find, He hath granted me forgiveness. I am His and He is mine. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a friend. Saving, helping, keeping loving. He is with me to the end. Friends, those are words of someone who knew pain and suffering, but someone who knew Jesus as his king. Do you know him as your king today? In just a moment, we're going to stand and I'm going to pray for us and we're going to sing that song that I just read to us. And as we sing it, we do invite you to respond. And a great response is through worship and through singing those very words I just read. It may be also that God is leading you during this time of response to acknowledge Jesus as your King, to confess Him as Lord, and we invite you to come and do that publicly. It might be that you have questions about the Gospel. It might be you just need someone to pray with you. And I'll be here to do that during this time. And so we invite you to worship. We invite you to respond. So let's stand together. Let me pray for us. And then let's sing. Father, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel. We thank You for this reminder from Your Word today about how You use ordinary daily frustrations to work out Your plan and Your will. This reminder that because of that, we we need to trust in You in any and all circumstance. And I pray, Lord, that that's what we do today. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here who perhaps even this morning, find themselves in just a frustrating situation, I pray that you would would remind them, Lord, that you're sovereign over all. Lord, we don't always understand your ways. You move in mysterious ways. Your ways are not ours. So help us to trust in you, Lord, even when we don't understand. Help us to have faith. And Lord, I pray that if there's any here who cannot say in, in boldness and insecurity insecurity today that Jesus is their king. I pray now, Lord, that they would place their trust in Christ. And we ask this as we sing in Jesus name. Amen. Church, let's lift our voices and sing. And you come as the Lord leads today.